0: Hi, Maxim.
1: Privet, Valeria. How are you?
0: I'm okay. I think it's a little bit um, bittersweet today because it's our last episode of the season, um, and we've done so many over the past year and a half. Um, season three—I can't believe we've done three seasons um, since the full-scale invasion—and we're at the end of the third one, which makes me very emotional. Um, but. It also made me think of like all the feedback we've been getting from people over the past um you know months um and before that even i think our patrons started supporting us from the very beginning right
1: yeah i think we we launched that uh, the the patron page it's maybe a month or two in and i think the majority of veteran sponsors that came in that the core of it are are still with us, which is amazing and and humbling. And I'm so, so very grateful for their continuous support.
0: Yeah. And it actually made me, so Titiana and Solomia from our team um, send us sometimes screenshots of the the messages and Maxim and I check as well from time to time, um, the stuff that we get on Patreon, on Instagram, on Twitter. So we're seeing all your comments, all your feedback. And I thought it would be nice for us Um, at the beginning of our last episode to read some of them, if that's okay, with you.
1: Yes, yes, please.
0: Um, So one of our patrons um, messaged us saying that I have been listening to your show as a podcast for a while, and I find it very inspiring. I feel so much rage and heartbreak since, since February 24th, and your podcast helps me process these feelings. Today, these feelings intensified again. And as well as sending donations, they motivated me to become a patron. I know it's just a drop in the ocean but perhaps it can make the pain of today a tiny bit more bearable. Heartfelt hugs and slavo ukraini. And it's just amazing to get this feedback from people who join us because sometimes it feels like it's like a as Maxim says like a therapy session for Maxim and I but I actually it's it's so amazing to see that other people can also process what they're going through and what they're feeling with the help of our podcast. So thank you so much. I'm going to read another one from um, a listener. I'm blown away by this podcast, really educational and important for Westerners to hear. Made me realize just how wrong the conversations around Ukraine have been and how few Ukrainian voices have been featured in traditional media. Thank you for your work on the podcast and outside. Slava Ukraini. So you see, Maxima, I think we're reaching our our intended um, target audiences. There are multiple, both Ukrainians who want to understand more about themselves, uh, but also people in the West who want to actually trust Ukrainian voices in their journey on learning more about our country. So I think that's been amazing. Um, well, but still,
1: Ukrainian how- voices are largely marginalized, so I think our mission is still uh, not done, unfortunately. I would love to to be one, done one day and we can just, you know, pack and call and say, you know, this job is done. You know, Ukrainian voices are mainstream. But unfortunately, a year and a half into this genocide, we're still facing the same problems we faced on the day first when we launched this podcast and the show. So, yeah. Thank Although you so I do much like for sharing
0: sure. that. I do like to think that the situation has gotten better and people have started listening more. I think on a large scale, it's probably not where we want it to be. But um I do think that things have started to shift. And even like, you know, reading reviews like this from from people who listen to us who, you know, maybe before wouldn't have necessarily come across Ukrainian voices like ours, like those of our guests, have been um reading and finding and listening and watching a lot more from people who know uh, and have lived through a lot of these experiences that we're talking about. Um, But how are you, Maxim? Sorry I didn't ask you in the beginning. (laughs)
1: no worries maybe it's for better because i'm always on like a bit of teddy downer side uh, of the things but uh, before we went uh, into this uh, final episode of the season three uh, about decolonization i was i was really listening a lot to this emerging and fantastic uh, ukrainian artist and singer maria kvitka and i think her story inspired me a lot that I wanted to share before we go to this episode. For me, at least personally, it explains why we've been doing this season a lot. So uh, to be super brief, she won this Ukrainian uh, singing contest as powerful uh, magical voice, but she's really into folk songs. So she works in archives and uses old poetry to incorporate in her songs. And a lot of people say, said to her, like, you know, this folk thing, it will make you niche. I mean, you need to go like large pop music. Why would you do that? And she's still you know, stuck to it. And fast forward to now, I think she's she has all the popularity, even more than uh, anyone would expect, but she still does her thing. But her songs, for me, despite being old and folk songs, they they ring completely different bell. Like, I do understand what she's singing about and they do not sound old, you know what I mean? Probably because our own perspective shifted so much about our roots, reconnecting with our roots, understanding that the people 20, 200, 300 years ago were singing the same songs that are relevant now, which is a bit depressing. But at the same time, we understand what's at stake today, and I think this reconnection is, is in essence our decolonization, is in essence us reconnecting with who we really are.
0: I just wanted to add that we before we actually had an episode with Stas and Marichka from UA Explainers where we said that like it's actually so bizarre that in school we used to read poetry and things like that of Ukrainian poetry and like not really feel anything that was like I don't know how to explain it but like it wasn't this visceral feeling of like oh my god I know what these poets were writing about and talking about and it's only now that like we're going through this Crazy experience, absolutely like one we didn't imagine we would ever go through. That you read and look back and listen back and really like realize and understand that we've been talking about similar things and experiences uh, now uh, for a very long time. But yes, so talk about this episode. Why are we here talking today? with our wonderful guests um about kazakhstan
1: i think we did uh this is going to be ninth episode and we did uh so many powerful stories in this season they're almost like uh jewels that basically go together and fit together very nicely of people sharing their personal stories how they're reconnecting with themselves with their roots but also how it's connected to their missions and the important work that they do but Those stories are mostly from Ukrainians, and I thought that it's exceptionally powerful when we always feature in these bridge episodes, our allies and friends who share similar experiences but are not Ukrainians. And for this specific for season finale, we wanted to share stories of our Kazakh friends because coming from very different backgrounds and culturally, geographically, We still share so much in common and so much that has happened to Ukraine tragically in the last one and a half years inspired so many Kazakhs to go on a powerful decolonization journeys as well.
0: Um, It's now time to finally welcome our amazing guests. And as always, I love saying this and I will never get tired of repeating it. We have one golden rule, which is to ask our guests to introduce themselves um, to our audiences the way that they feel uh, they would like to be introduced and to tell the audiences what they think is important to know about them. Um, so please um, welcome Evgenia first and then Azamat.
2: Thank you so much, Valeria. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show because I was listening for it since one of the first episodes. And uh, what I wanted to say that since February 24 last year, my heart is breaking every day. And uh, well, I learned learned to live with that, but I I really hope that it will stop soon. I'm a former journalist and activist. Uh, Why former? Because uh, mostly my most professional efforts are now concentrated uh, in NGO sector, Uh, but speaking personally, about myself outside of professional life. I really like uh, telling people about Kazakh contemporary culture in my free time and all my friends can confirm it because I sit and uh, gradually uh, turning them into fans of Kazakh music and Kazakh film.
0: Azima, would you mind please introducing yourself to our audiences?
3: All right. Uh, First of all, Valeria Maxim, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor for me. I have been following your work and I'm always blown away by the impact you guys have and how many people you educate. So it's a privilege for me to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me. About myself, I I was born and raised in Kazakhstan in Almaty. Um, I have Currently, I'm a professor of sociology at a private liberal arts college in Southern California, uh, in town called Claremont. It's 30 miles outside Los Angeles. Uh, My uh, research interests have to do with Central Asia. And most of my work actually has been um, using public opinion data from Central Asia and sort of analyzing it to look at patterns. Of public opinion when it comes to issues of inequality, social inequality, economic inequality, political inequality, stratification. But you know, all this work is definitely very quantitative in nature. It's something where you know I get large grants, then I use the money to uh, hire public opinion research companies to carry out these representative sort of studies for me, big samples. All this to say that it's it was very academic very much arm's length. And I think for me personally, since February 24th, something fascinating has been happening where um, I've been thinking more and more about my own personal story, my own circumstances, my family circumstances. And it's been this kind of a wild journey, honestly. And uh, it feels very different from my usual stuff, right? So I've been trying to write a little bit on Twitter about some of this, right? Just trying to reassess, rethink my own situation. And um, I am just at the start of the journey and voices like yours are really guiding it in many
0: ways.
1: Evgeny, if I can ask you quite the similar question, because honestly, I don't think you mind um me sharing it with a larger audience but we know each other for many years but i told you before as well that the way i you know started to know you in the last year and a half it's completely different from all those years we knew each other uh before and um, i appreciate our friendship and our connection much more but partially i think it's because of your own journey that you're going through Similar to what Azamat uh, has been saying, so if you don't mind sharing with everyone else how your life has changed and why, you know, Ukraine and the strategy in Ukraine started you know, force you to question who you are as well.
2: Actually, for one and a half years, <laughs> more and more, um, I've been uh, looking into my family history, just as Azamat mentioned, and was thinking about uh, who I am and uh, where do I belong. Uh, (laughs) um, And yes, I have to mention that I live in Prague, Czech Republic, for six years outside of Kazakhstan for quite a long time. Um, And my self-discovery journey, I think, um, have started (laughs) about ten years ago and it's still going on. The most difficult thing for me um, is um, to present myself, uh, who I am. Uh, It is very strange. And I think many uh, of uh, people of different ethnicities born in Kazakhstan, of mix of ethnicities would uh, (laughs) relate to that. Um, When you tell people that you're from Kazakhstan, People start questioning, oh, you look so Slavic, you're not, uh, you don't look like uh, a Kazakh person. And then you start uh, explaining that Kazakhstan is a multi-ethnic country. We have a lot of different ethnicities and uh, you can be Kazakh being uh, of different ethnicity because uh, we have very diverse society. And uh, for me uh, it was a long journey to say uh, that I'm Kazakh and that's how I feel like because I believe when you that's my culture that's the culture I was born and brought up in and when people uh, think that automatically I should be Russian, I start protesting, my <laughs> cheeks start getting red, and I really feel very uncomfortable uh, explaining my background. Well, because uh, <laughs> um, my family is quite mixed. My mom was born in Russia, but she moved to Kazakhstan when she was eight, and she was brought up, brought up in Kazakhstan. Uh, On my father's side, I have Greek, Polish and Ukrainian. Uh, My grandfather was Ukrainian. He was deported uh, uh, to Kazakhstan with his family uh, in the beginning of 20th century. So my family history is very complicated. It's full of uh, tragedy uh, and it is hard for me uh, to relate uh, to any ethnicity that's within my blood because I uh was brought up in Kazakh culture and that I think how culturally I belong um my great grandfather uh polish uh he was enemy of the state in the USSR of course he was rehabilitated but this is also a, a big trauma in in my family and uh that my family tries to kind of erase from the memory and not talk about it Uh, i was brought up by my great great grandmother who spoke kazakh to me uh, when i was a kid Uh, i spoke kazakh to our family's friends and particularly uh the grandfather Makulbai, whom with whom he really we really like to chat in kazakh um and uh, this tragedy, I think, intensified um, when the the war in Ukraine has started for me. And um I feel more and more connected with uh, Kazakh culture, with my home country, the war in Ukraine, the genocide that is happening. I think it's it made us think how our stories of our countries, were untold to full extent uh, and in many cases people d- don't understand what was going on in our countries under the soviet rule and what
0: ordinary people were facing what i was interested in is to hear your perspectives um as a Martin and, and, and engineer yourself about you know the soviet union has been over for more than 30 years i i was just curious to hear why do you think for 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 people from kazakhstan and people from other countries as well this full scale invasion 24th of february was the turning point in understanding um ourselves better and i was also i wanted to ask azamat specifically how have you um personally been i know you mentioned that that you know you started looking into your own understanding of your identity and understanding of of the history of of you know your country your 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 family and things um, like that, but could you tell us a little bit more about this journey that you've been on since since Russia brutally invaded Ukraine?
3: Of course, of course yeah, thank you so much. Yes, uh, I am afraid I have to go back quite a bit uh, for the story to make sense. Uh, so, as I mentioned, I was born raised in Almaty in Kazakhstan. I'm 47 now. I was about 16 when the Soviet Union collapsed. And looking back, I realized that my family was relatively privileged. I was sort of, you know, I'm an ethnic Kazakh, but I grew up in the central part of Almaty, went to the schools in the central part of Almaty. And uh, back in sort of the early 80s, right, when I started elementary school in Almaty, which even back then had over a million inhabitants and, you know, over a hundred schools, there were only two schools where Kazakh was the language of instruction right? So Almaty itself was about 20% Kazakh, right? So four out of five kids in uh, any school in central Almaty would have been not Kazakh, right? And so I went to Russian schools my entire life. My family actually is quite Russified. So my mom and her siblings, they were all born in the 1940s, and none of them speak Kazakh, right? So um, that those are just facts that I grew up with. But what I've been thinking about recently, right, is how this fact of being so Russified, right, just being Russian speakers, having uh, no Kazakh, and for me, having no interest in learning Kazakh or using Kazakh, or actually having disdain for all things Kazakh was completely normal, right? It was just something I never questioned, never stopped to think about. And in fact, I remember when I was young, and you know, when when there would be some social situation where people would question me, they would look at me and you know, I look Kazakh, right, but they would try to sort of talk to me in Kazakh, and I couldn't respond. And when someone would try to sort of question me about this, or you know, Criticized, perhaps. It just irritated me. I just thought, oh, how dare they, right? So, but looking back, what I'm realizing, it's a, being in Kazakhstan, in Central Asia, specifically in Almaty, right? Being, having flawless Russian, right? Being thoroughly immersed in Russian culture, Russian literature, Russian music, for a Kazakh person was a sign of higher status, right? That's just the truth of it. And so it was a marker of status. And any uh, Kazakh person who had even the slightest hint of a Kazakh accent in a Russian, it marked them as someone that comes from a village, right? And village means lower status. For your listeners, it's important to understand that because of the Soviet policies in Kazakhstan, Kazakhs were concentrated in certain parts of the country and also mostly really in rural areas, whereas urban areas, certainly the capital at the time, Almaty, was heavily Russian and urban areas in general in general were heavily Russian. And so being Kazakh who has zero Kazakh language skill, has zero interest in Kazakh language, has disdain for Kazakh culture, that was me. Right, and it never bothered me. I never questioned it. I was sort of smug about it. And um, I, it so happened that I lived much of my adult life in the U.S. And when people would ask me, um, "Are you Russian?" I would say, "No, I'm not Russian." Right, but you speak Russian, and I need to explain. And I, you know, would say, "Oh, you know, Soviet Union legacy of the Soviet Union." Again, never really stopped to think about it. Honestly, even more personally, I have, um, you know, from my first marriage, my three children, their mom is American. And uh, we at home had to, you know, try to make sure they're bilingual. And so the rule at home was that the kids are not supposed to use English with me. And I worked my uh worked very hard, right? I worked very hard to make sure they're bilingual, but the language I was able to give them was my mother tongue, which is Russian, which is ironic and horrible at the same time, right? But that's that's been my reality. And I think since February 24th, I've had this growing realization that, in my case, this was really just some kind of internalized racism. I don't know if that's the right term, but certainly it's self-hatred almost, right? So I'm an ethnic Kazakh who, you know, looks down on Kazakh language and Kazakh culture. But it also, as a sociologist, it made me think, is it just me with my broken mind, or was there something about the society at the time, how we grew up, that I have somehow inhaled this to stay in this attitude, and I think it is the latter, and so I've been trying wow. to unmark it. I've been trying to. I am in Kazakhstan now for the summer. I've been trying to use my very broken, very basic Kazakh whenever I can in social situations, but it's hard. And I no longer feel smug about uh, being a you know a flawless Russian speaker in 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 Kazakhstan. That time has long passed.
1: It's something that I know I am for sure, but also really relates so much. I think when we talk with your friends all the time about the language and beca- about our identity confusion when we started on this journey is something that is closely related to understanding how Russian colonialism works and how basically messes up with our understanding who we are that we do not understand what language we should be speaking. We do not understand where we come from, what we should be proud of. We know just one thing that Russian, anything Russian is superior. That's how we're conditioned to be. And I'm really grateful for you to share this very personal, very painful stories of you trying to regain your voice back. But I also probably wanted to ask uh, Zhenya to share her own experience with uh, Russian language and being similarly brought up Russian-speaking, despite of her uh, very diverse uh, background, how would you explain to the rest of the world how Russian has been used in, in your life and in life of your community and your country to assert Russian control and Russian cultural he- hegemony over, over anything indigenous?
2: I recently uh, was asked actually by a Czech tour guide uh one uh, on a sightseeing tour with my niece uh how Russian language works in Kazakhstan and yeah I started explaining something that was Azamat uh that Azamat was talking about that uh, the Russian speaking population is concentrated in the big cities because they're Soviet powers were pushing pushing uh, Russian language. Most of the school were Russian language schools. And we, as a surprise, were studying uh, Kazakh language as a foreign language. I think we even had more uh, classes of English rather than uh, classes of Kazakh in the big cities. Whereas when you go outside, um, Outside Almaty, you need Kazakh language. Um, Two years ago, I was visiting my family uh, for for three months for summer, and we went out um, also on a sightseeing tour uh, outside outside Almaty, and we were staying in sort of a guest house with uh, the owners and the group that was staying there most of them didn't speak any kazakh and our hosts were not didn't speak any russian so uh, of course uh, my kazakh is not perfect uh i try not to forget it uh because it's been a while since i was using it uh but i was the, the sort of the bridge between this group of russian speaking people from the city and uh, uh and our hosts and this is such a uh, strange and heartbreaking situation and um we were talking to the to our host and she said well i hope my kids will learn russian and will go to the city because this is no way uh, to get a good life and I and I was thinking how unjust the situation is that you need to learn foreign language to get uh, to get a good life in your own country. And this is heartbreaking, but I think we're on a path uh, of changing uh. Changing and making Kazakh language uh, stronger and more widespread. I think in the next ten years we have we will have a drastic change of the language policy. Uh, that's my expectation. Of course, Russian will not disappear, but I think that Kazakh will be the main language that people speak. And I think that uh, since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, many. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I was speaking to many uh, non-ethnic Kazakhs uh, in my home country and everybody uh, wants to learn Kazakh or they started learning or they are in a process, they are using more Kazakh language in their day-to-day life And every time you have to explain uh, people how it happened and that you're not from Russia and Kazakhstan is not part of Russia. (laughs) And uh, yes, we have Kazakh language. Yes, it is close. It's a Turkic group of languages and you just have to give this very, very long explanation to people uh, for them to understand why uh, there are two languages in the country. Why Russian language is dominant? Um, this is how it is.
1: My God, it's every Ukrainian can relate. I think or most of us, for sure.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say absolutely the same. And also the fact that isn't it like, isn't it so beautiful and 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 interesting how how much we feel um, for the languages that. You know, for Ukrainian, for Kazakh, for it—it it, it just connects us to our identity so much. And I've been feeling it this year as well. Like myself, speaking Ukrainian much more than I ever have before in my life. You know, speaking Ukrainian now, even with my family, um, it just makes you so much more in tune with with your own history, your own stories, your own kind of even like this national spirit of resistance, almost just through the language. I wanted to ask Azamat, you've previously described um, your relationship and your sort of feeling towards the Kazakh language before as the colonized conscience. and also your relationship to to the culture as as a child. And I wanted to ask you, how how are you actively relearning um, things about yourself and and your childhood? And also how do you inform your children um, about this relationship to Kazakh culture as a result of your own journey?
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a hard question. I'm afraid I don't have a, a short or even a complete answer. I am trying to pick up Kazakh, I'm trying to use more Kazakh. I wish I could say like you that I am using Kazakh with family these days or using speaking Kazakh more myself. In my case it's, uh, unfortunately, it's, um, you know, the language, I I cannot say that in my family it's completely lost, but it's it's past the point where we can just switch, make the choice just to use Kazakh because in my family's case, it's been almost completely wiped out, right? So, and um, it's 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 just the most bizarre feeling, right? It's uh, actually makes me think of the essay by Ukrainian writer Sasha Davzhuk, right, about the language, and she has this sentence that's been haunting me. Uh, It says, Russian is my mother tongue, and liberation means ripping it out of my throat, right? And so that's literally the case for me, except the only other language I can actually function in is English. And, you know, but when I'm back home here in Almaty, I try, I mean, I try, you know, when I go out to the grocery store or I talk to, you know, to, to... cab drivers just regular people right i try to use um kazakh i feel incredibly self-conscious doing so because i know my grammar is atrocious and people just today someone asked me are you kazakh right when they tried to engage with me in kazakh and i couldn't respond and so it feels it feels awful honestly right so i i i feel like against my wishes almost against what against my own desires i am i am still using russian every day with my loved ones right with people around and it just feels like a violation um i i can i mean it's not practical for me to switch to english when i'm here um so i keep using russian and then the the truth is with my children i um it's easy to give them english because you know we live in california and you know english is not a problem but Um, Yeah, uh, it it makes me sweat just thinking about it. Like I I am, yeah, I am basically reduced to speaking to my uh, children in in Russian. It's just just incredibly painful. It's like, I know I have this object stuck in me and I cannot take it out. It's it's, it's incredibly uh, awful.
0: being truthful and honest about essentially how you feel about this journey that you're on and I think it also takes strength and and courage to be able to even you know express because maybe someone will listen to this episode to to both of you and and will be able to take this forward for themselves as well so thank you so much for doing that.
1: I think our family stories are, we've been sharing and the lots of Ukrainians who come on Ukrainian space has also shared the same because there are a lot of Russian-speaking families, right? And your closest people to you sometimes speak uh, Russian or other language from you. Um, and it was really, and it's still painful for a lot to le- relearn and reconnect and rebuild that intimacy with each other through new language, because you using the old language is painful, but using new one, it's not an overnight switch. And listening to you, Azamat, I feel like a lot of um, Ukrainians can find themselves in a bit privileged positions because we have been raised bilingual. And it's for us, it's sometimes easy to switch between two languages. But what do you do if the assimilation went that long and that deep that people even lost the connection with our uh, indigenous languages it takes time and effort to rebuild and uh, make it your own and I just remember this story just for several days ago when I was uh, I was uh, asked by one of the editors if uh, I want my piece to be translated to Russian and I you know I, it was written originally in English and I was taking aback and it was like, you know, I'm not really interested in in you translating it because I don't care if Russians read it." And they were like, you know, it's not for Russians, it's for Central Asia because we want to reach with this piece Central Asian audiences as well. And I mm. was really shocked because I know that people mean well. But then mm. I was like, you know, asking them if you really want to reach audiences in Central Asia and understand how Russian is prevalent, but still wouldn't be a better act of solidarity to translate it in Kazakh and Uzbek and Kyrgyz and Tajik. And they were taking aback by this question as well. So it runs so deep. Day by day, embodying new language, you know, reconnecting with your own language—it's a journey. But personally, it brings me so much joy now, uh, less pain than it used to in the beginning. So hopefully, that will be a hopeful message to to you as a man as well.
3: Yeah, Maxim, if I can add one thing just quickly, uh, I think there is a silver lining among my friends, right, who are ethnic Kazakh, grew up in similar situations to my 100% Russian speakers. They live, unlike me though, they live in Kazakhstan. Almost all of them are sending their children to schools where Kazakh is the language of instruction, right? So they're making that switch. In my case, uh, because I am in the US, it's it's trickier, right? So uh, the only source of sort of the language is is for, for my kids is speaking with me. But for my, like, guys my age who have, you know, children, and who grew up as Russified Kazakhs, many of them are sending their kids to Kazakh schools. So I think the situation is definitely changing.
1: Um, I wanted, Azamat, if you don't mind to talk about, you know, quickly to explain foreigners why it's important to pay attention now to the issue of the spelling of Kazakhstan because internationally Kazakhstan is being uh, written and spelled through K and I know you went in at length online explaining to people why spelling out through uh, Q is more appropriate and why it has actually to do everything with colonization and get a read, a read of colonial legacy. So can you educate us a bit uh, on that issue? Sure, absolutely. Thank yeah.
3: you, thank you, thank you for the question. Yeah. So if you uh, look up Kazakhstan, if you Google Kazakhstan, right, uh, it's going to come up as K A Z A K H S T A N, Kazakhstan, right? But that K H in the middle is supposed to represent the Russian sound right? Kazakhstan, which is not how Kazakh people themselves call their own country, right? So in Kazakh, it's Kazakhstan. Right. So, and Kazakhstan, um, if you go from from how from Kazakhstan to sort of how it's written in English using Latin letters, it would go, you know, Q A Z A Q S T A N, Kazakh with the two Qs. And um, it essentially then bypasses, you know, the Russified version, right, Kazakhstan. It goes directly from Kazakh to English. And so I, I, I wrote about this. And it's connected to the effort that's been going on in the country to switch from Cyrillic to Latin alphabet, to switch the written Kazakh language from Cyrillic to Russian alphabet. I mean, from Cyrillic to Latin alphabet. And uh, that effort obviously has immediately got a lot of pushback from Moscow, right? So it was quite a hysterical reaction from the Kremlin, people are saying, oh, this is a stab in the back, they're, uh, you know, betraying us. And so Kazakhstan had been forced to proceed very slowly with the switch to Latin of the written Kazakh language. But um, I do think that with time, the Q instead of the K, and the Q in the middle instead of the KH is going to become the dominant form. And it's interesting that the change is already happening and it's happening organically sort of from the ground up there is a local clothing brand that's quite popular called kazakh republic right and that's and the way they spell it is q a z a q kazakh right using yeah
1: uh, actually brought me uh, w- which is now one of my favorite t-shirts from this <laughs> brand
3: yeah, oh, I, 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 like, it like, I like it <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and so, but so they're doing it already, right? And young people really uh, want their stuff, and it's it's not cheap either, right? And so, um, the change is happening. Uh, a lot of the time you can see you see signs where uh, the Kazakh language uh, part is written using Latin letters, and so it's happening. But in in a way, if you think that how pr- prominent still the the, the Russified pr- the spelling is. It shows how powerful that Russian lens still is, right? How, you know, Central Asia has historically been seen through the Russian lens, right? As sort of this underbelly of Russia, right? As part of the former Soviet Union. And I think it's time, yeah, we move away from that as much as possible. So I've been in my own writing. I've been trying, certainly on Twitter, I've been trying to use the Q instead of the K -K and the KH and encouraging others to do the same. And uh, it's a small change, but I think, you know, sometimes the symbolic changes are important.
1: I think all Ukrainians who are listening now can vibe with us so much with our uphill battle that was like for, you know, for many years trying to change the spelling of Ukrainian uh, cities and Ukrainian geography from Russified English versions to Ukrainian. Um, for example, Kyiv and Kharkiv and Odessa sure. with one S. And uh, for everybody would uh, dismiss you right away saying, well, this is one letter. Why do you care so much? Or it it doesn't really matter. Uh, And for people like us, it matters everything. Because what can be more important than the name of the places you come from or your own names that are being misspelled in the language of colonizer? I think this is... Yeah, absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Because I think... Certainly for Central Asia, uh, for Central Asians, we've always been told that oh, Kazakhs didn't have anything of their own. Kazakhs didn't have written language Kazaks Kazakhs Kazakh didn't have any of any, anything. And so Russia was always seen as the great bringer of culture, of language of words, of literature, of music, of everything, right. And so to go directly from Kazakh to English bypassing Russian, I think is symbolically quite important right? Whereas maintaining or insisting on using the the Russian as the intermediary is is not right anymore. And yeah, I think it's time for this to change. Uh, Zhenya. speaking of uh, really changing
1: situations, part of our kind of routine that we uh, often exchange uh, uh, stories mm-hmm. or links on uh, new Kazakh music, because I'm really into the scene recently as well. But to be honest, I think I, I got uh, I started paying more attention when um, uh, Kazakh artists started doing some collaborations with Ukrainian artists as well. One of my favorite tracks was uh, by Kazakh artist dude on the guitar and Ukrainian artist Ketchup that they did on the uh, you know on the genocide in Ukraine and building so many. Cool, but also powerful parallels between the, you know, Kazakhs surviving Russian-made genocide and Ukrainians surviving. What would you recommend for everyone to pay attention uh, in terms of Kazakh culture? What is happening there that the rest of the world definitely needs to see? In terms of art, in terms of music, is anything that is related to this uh, reclaiming our, the, yourselves through cultures happening in Kazakhstan at the moment? Because I suspect that there is a lot of it that uh, the rest of the world does not really expose well at the moment.
2: Thank you, Maxim, for this question. That's my favorite topic. Uh, but before telling uh, what's on the uh, what's new on the Kazakh uh, music and culture scene, I just wanted to tell one story related to what we were talking before. Um, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of Kazakh rap music, and um, I have a favorite band, uh, which is called G H A D. Um and 10 years ago I was at their concert live in my
4: hometown Almaty as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point of time they they sing in kazakh there's no russian uh <laughs> intervention into their ly- lyrics as some of uh kazakh musicians do they have very um poetic very kind of high kazakh um and i was the only non ethnic Kazakh person at their concert and later uh, I think few months later I met them in the street and I was like oh my god you are these guys and they're like we know you you were at our concert and because I was the only one uh, non-Kazakh ethnic uh, person they remembered me Um, that was 10 years ago but uh, now uh situation has changed, now we have big festivals that are full of Kazakh new musicians, uh, indie, Q-pop, um, Kazakh pop, like full of music, uh, song primarily in Kazakh. And it makes my heart <laughs> full of joy. I I dreamt about it for a very, very long time. And now, once I'm gone outside of the country, it's it's finally happening.
4: I would
2: say, Biggest uh, phenomena of uh, Kazakh uh, music scene, I would call 91. Together with my friend, uh, film uh, documentary film director Katerina Suvorova, uh, we've made uh, a film which is called Face the Music in English. In Kazakh, it's called Miencien Nemes. Um, It's about how 91 has changed uh, Kazakh youth culture and how it's done a lot for young people to start learning Kazakh language for serious because this is um, uh, a a music band that is singing basically Kazakh version of uh, K-pop. And uh, this blend of Kazakh language and global influence just made a great effect of people wanting to learn Kazakh. There are so many stories you can find on YouTube, like um, uh, US citizens have learned Kazakh because of 91, they have a fan page in Bolivia. So it's, they did great thing for um, Kazakh contemporary culture. They made, they created this craving for learning Kazakh language. I don't say that there were no good Kazakh language band uh, in Kazakhstan, but they were the game changer. Um, um, If you're interested, I can share later the link to the documentary, which is available uh, on YouTube uh, with English subtitles.
3: (laughs) I'm сені partners in Кешкі түнгі және we change things, things become more important. Countries
4: around the world Бір burning, burning, burning. Burning new debt, debt, деп debt, 7 debt, 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 бір debt, 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 бір debt, 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 debt,
2: yeah, I just uh, wanted to say that uh, now we have so many uh, uh, Kazakh uh, uh, Kazakh singers, uh, new Kazakh singers singing in different genres. Um, <clears throat> that um, I'm ex- extremely proud of it. Um, it's due to on the guitar, as you already mentioned, Gilles Tosan. Also, I think we should be proud of the musicians that are considered to be uh, traditional um, family party music, toy in Kazakh, uh, like Karat Murtas, and now they are head, uh, the headliners of, so to say, contemporary music, um, Kazakh music festivals, which has never happened before. They were for more kind of family audience and family festivities right now there. And I think that's a big switch um, to um, realizing um, and being proud of where you're coming from.
0: Um, we have to unfortunately wrap up, and we always ask this question since day one. Um, I actually don't know if we asked it in episode one, but we this is our favorite question, and um, I we slightly adapted it uh, to the context of this episode. But I wanted to ask to share with everyone uh, what does it mean for you to be Kazakh. Um, we ask everyone what it means for them to be Ukrainian ukrainians who we have here but we would love to hear from you about your own interpretation of being kazakh
2: for me it's a hard question because um well um i was afraid that it's um it would hurt other people's feelings to call myself kazakh you know it was uh because well literally i'm my part of my family is can't be considered uh <laughs> colonizers but they were not they were also sent uh, to Kazakhstan uh, so it for me it was very complicated to admit that uh, for now I think um, what I feel is to be proud of Kazakh culture and that's what I, I practice what I preach I'm telling it to everybody about it to everybody I think being proud of things done in Kazakhstan, great music, great films, great literature, not only Abai. there's plenty of uh, other authors to read in Kazakh. I think that's what for me uh, being Kazakh, to be proud of the place and things that, good things that my country has produced.
3: For me being Kazakh, nowadays me recognizing history, right? So recognizing that I was born in a society where that was colonized by Russia, that in my own family, Kazakh language and Kazakh culture were almost completely crushed, but um, I think they were not destroyed entirely, and now they're coming back, and there's the realization that I've been thinking recently, sorry, um, yeah, I've been thinking recently that the, you know, the the absolutely heroic fight that Ukrainians are fighting is in many ways a fight that's for all of us who colonized by uh, Russia. And um, it's definitely been a personal awakening for me What to being Kazakh, I'm no longer, I don't know if the word ashamed is right, but I'm no longer embarrassed. I'm no longer uncomfortable. I'm no, I no longer have this disdain for anything Kazakh, right? So I, 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 I've grown sort of proud of being Kazakh. You know, Kazakhs were nomadic people who lived in this beautiful but very harsh environment, survived and um we're still here and i think the effort by moscow to reverse time right to reassert control of former colonies is doomed is destined to fail right they're creating horrible tragedies in their sort of attempts to reverse the flow of time but it's doomed and i think the Ukrainians again are sort of leading that fight and, of course, paying a terrible price. And just wanted to say that personally, my solidarity, my admiration for the people of Ukraine. And, and yeah, that's it.
1: Thank you so much, uh, guys. Rachmet, to both of you, uh, that was such a pleasure and such an honor to not only to feature your stories, but also to feature your own Ukrainian spaces, uh, because in a way, I feel like we share so much in common, and it's honor to amplify what you guys do, and what you guys feel important to share with the rest of the world. Well, thank you so much for being here.
3: Maxim, thank you so much for having us.
2: Thank you
0: so much. Thank you. Thank you so much to our wonderful guests for this um, last episode of season three of Ukrainian Spaces. I think it's one we'll remember and I hope our listeners listeners will also remember um, for the time being. But before um, we say goodbye to you, I just wanted to quickly explain to you what the end of our season means. It actually doesn't mean that we're stopping everything. Um, but our new episodes will resume in fall. Um at, whilst whilst um we we kind of have these couple of months of of a break between the seasons, you will keep getting remastered uh, season one episodes and we'll be re-uploading them so you can rediscover some of um the older episodes that we recorded with Maxim from the very beginning. And of course, we'll have bonus content. Um, that will keep coming bonus episodes, reading lists. Um, all of these are on Patreon. So please, um, if you're not yet a patron and you want to get more in between our seasons, and also we also release bonus content when our seasons are in full swing, please um, don't forget to sign up. There's different tiers, so uh, you can decide how much you want to um, in- invest, donate to Ukrainian spaces. Um, but essentially, Um, Please just don't forget to share um, the content that we've been doing and our episodes with your family and friends, because obviously the more people that listen to us, um, the more we can educate the world about Ukraine through the voices of Ukrainians. And you can find all of this information and much more on ukrainianspaces.com. But also just to say that we are going to launch a new fundraising campaign to be able to fund season four and make it better uh, again than you know season one season two season three each season we've been trying to make the experience of listening to our podcast better for for our listeners so we'll be launching a new fundraising campaign on july 15th um because additional resources will basically make what we do even better for everyone um so Thank you so much once again to our wonderful guests, to our patrons, to our listeners, to everyone who's been amplifying our messages, to our team, to Titiana and Salomia. Um, but before we finish, I would like to pass to Maxim um for a slightly different um ending to our episode. Maxim.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, we planned for this season 10 episodes, not nine, and I think one of the people that we always wanted to book for this season, but uh, I failed to do that because schedules never worked, was uh, Victoria Anelina, a Ukrainian novelist and writer and and poet, and unfortunately, Victoria was murdered um, at the... At the beginning of this of july in Kramatorsk by russian missile and i think this unfortunately one of the episodes that will uh, never happen because of that and victoria is not the only uh, ukrainian writer who uh, got murdered in what she personally also called another chapter of so-called executed renaissance to ukrainian culture so To honor her memory, we posted some of her famous quotes online, on our um, social media accounts. But I also wanted to end the season and end this episode with her poem uh, that was translated from Ukrainian uh, to English. It's, uh, It's called Poem About a Crow. So this is how it goes. In a barren springtime field stands a woman, dressed in black, crying her sister's names like a bird in the empty sky. She'll cry them all out for herself. The one that flew away too soon, the one that had begged to die, the one that couldn't stop death, the one that has not stopped waiting, the one that has not stopped believing, the one that still grieves in silence. She will cry them all into the ground, as though sowing the field with pain. And from pain and the names of women, her new sisters will grow from the earth, and again will sing joyfully of life. But what about her, the crow? She will stay in the field forever, because only this cry of hers holds all the swallows in the air. Do you hear how she calls each one by her name? Don't forget to amplify Ukrainian voices as many as possible before they're silenced. Thank you so much for spending your time on this episode, but staying with us and amplifying Ukrainian spaces throughout the whole season. We'll see you and hear you soon. Uh, That's it for now. Apart from one thing, Slava Ukrainian. Hello,
0: Slava!